how did you find Linux? When I was uh, but a young lad, way, way long time ago, I was in college majoring in computer information systems and accounting. And I was actually working with IBM 360, 370 mainframe stuff, and JCL, and COBOL, and RPG. And so if anybody doesn't know what that is, <laughs> right, we won't, we're not going to go into it here. I talked to one of the professors in the department, and I said, you know, I'm kind of bored with this, I don't, and I don't, don't like it. I, I did, I've never been a COBOL fan. Um, he's like, look, he's like, I got this new thing for you. And he said, uh, there's, this, there's this, this guy from Finland who writes this. And he said, now it takes a lot of work. Uh, and he said, you have to build all this yourself. He said, it'll probably, it'll probably get to the point where it's easier, but right now you have to build it all yourself. So I actually installed, and my first Linux kernel was uh, 0.99 PL4, I think. It's like way, way back. Yeah. I had to actually, <laughs> I had to build a Minix uh, system and build it up and actually make the first kernel on a floppy. That's how I first got started. Yeah. I remember the time where you guys compiled a sound card driver. Yeah. We, Forever, and then it never, I don't think it worked right. No, not, not all of them. <laughs> back in the day, you had to, the kernel was not modularized, and you had to literally include any driver in the kernel you thought you might need. And so that took a lot of time. It also, the, the original compiles of the kernel would run for hours and hours. You know, now you can compile a kernel in 15 minutes, but it's not, it's not it wasn't that way then. Um, so I do also remember um, uh, the, the first time that I did the kernel, it would not speak. Uh, and so I had to have somebody read me all the prompts and uh, <laughs> that did not endear me to people. But Yeah, I was um, going to ask about that. Like, um, did you have to, like the first um, text-to-speech, um, for people who are watching this, our friend, this is uh, Kelly, and he actually can't see, but... I am as so. blind as a bat. <laughs> but, um, but one of the things uh, I used, uh, and again, this dates me, but I used Procom Plus, and I used a serial terminal on all my Linux boxes. And that's how I was able to utilize, because you, we always use terminals on the mainframe. That was nothing new to me. But it was very much the, the way we did it all. And so uh, your console on your screen is just a terminal. It just happens to be a fancier terminal, but it's still a terminal. Um, so uh, that's how I started Linux was Procom Plus. And I used Procom Plus in DOS probably until about 2005 when my DOS thing died. So you had it for a long time. A long time. Oh, no. I was just going to give the little story. In, in, the, in the day of... Um... You know, when multi-core came out and like 2.6 gigahertz with like <laughs> 4 meg of RAM was big, we had room full of 36 servers and wouldn't you know it, the entire operation was grinded to a halt because a 386 DOS machine took a crap. And that was my terminal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All four, all four admins are working on a, on a 16-bit computer. Yeah, um, great. Yeah, can you describe, is it a device that plugs into... So, like so back in the day, so back in the day, we had um, we had to communicate with your computer. Now, of course, everybody uses USB, and everybody takes it for granted. Um, of course, USB when it works, right? But so we used to have serial ports, and it was to the RS two thirty two standard, um, and you either had nine pin or twenty five pin ports, um, and you ran cables between computers. Now, the interesting thing is, since computers are like devices, we had to use null modem cables. And I used to use so many no modem cables that I had a whole drawer full of them. 
but yeah, you use no modem cables, connect them together, and then you use telecommunication software like Procom. And so back in the day, we started at like 9600 baud, and then you know moved up. And when I was done terminaling, it was always uh, 115,200 baud, eight data bits. Uh, uh, eight in one. Eight in one. Yes. <laughs> uh, no parity and one stop bit. <clears throat> now, what was always fun though back in the day, you could uh, to to throw somebody off. You change their parity and stop bits, and they would just cause people no end of problems because they wouldn't know. And it, it's not something people would think about to troubleshoot. So that was always a fun thing. They could call today. on you. Sure, sure. Or 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 they end up. I, I know people that do full reinstalls because it wouldn't work. And I'm like, <laughs> it was just a parity problem for heaven's sake. Um, so you were in college, and then you got into this. Then, then you got a, you know, career. I subsequently, I subsequently <laughs> left school, which was dumb, right? No, I, no, I, no. Um, like many people, I did not take my college as seriously as I should, and I uh, did not attend classes regularly. I did attend fraternity parties regularly, <laughs> but um, that was not the the path to uh, uh, proper matriculation. Uh, anyway, so I ended up uh, getting married and having a family, which tends to distract you from your goals, right? It's, uh, that, that tends to uh, throw things off. Um, and so I briefly ventured off into some other things, and then I got back into my uh, Linux and computer work. Um, and I, I took a job in, uh, with a company in Cincinnati, uh, which doesn't exist anymore as far as I know. And through them, ultimately worked for... Warren County government in Cincinnati, in, in well, Lebanon, Ohio, and then and then moved up and started doing some work for, that's how I got into the ISP thing, I started doing some consulting work for a gentleman in Cincinnati that was friends with Mike O'Connor, and that's how I met O'Connor, and then, you know, went to work for uh, W-Coil in Lima. Yeah, and that's kind, of, that's kind of how that went. Um, I originally was doing consulting work for him, and then uh, he offered me a full-time job, and I'm like, yep, I'm on, I'm good, because I liked the work. You were there for a while. Yeah, I was there for all told between my real time and consulting time, <laughs> almost ten years. When you were in college, did you ever get in trouble? Um, I mean, I know there's so, levels of trouble. Right. Like, so I, so one time I um, I I yeared my printing priority uh, because I I didn't like to wait on the big. We had one great big huge printer in, in each lab, right? And so it had that. It was that really wide green bar computer papers, horrid stuff. And, and, and so I didn't like to wait on the printer, so I, I, had, uh, I had actually called IBM and ordered, they would give stuff to you free back then. I ordered the manual strip manual so I knew how to do this stuff, so I, and they didn't protect it, so I jiggered my print priority to be really high. And uh, so I went to print my assignment, so I printed it, it came out, and I grabbed it off the printer, and I was all ready to leave, and my instructor, I didn't realize he was in the room, he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, we have to talk. And right then I knew, right then I knew I was in trouble because I was like, uh-oh. So he said, you know, he said, I appreciate the fact that your assignment printed quickly. But he said, the reason I know you did something you're not supposed to is because he said, is, is your, your stuff printed before mine. And I know that my priority is supposed to be higher than yours. So he said, if you tell me what you did and you make it right and we don't do it again, he said, we won't have any more words about it. And I was like, saved. So he didn't know. Like, so he, knew I, did he, just knew, he just knew I did something. He just knew I did something. Um, so, and we had funny money because back in the day, uh, all computer time was costed. It wasn't real money, of course, but, but they used it to keep track of who was using the computer. And, uh, so they only gave you, I don't know, a hundred dollars in funny money. And, and so I, I would constantly run mine out. So I, 
So I wrote me a little program to constantly top my account. Mm -hmm. It was okay until the accounting people figured out that I'd used like $10,000 of computer time. <laughs> so really college, like that was when you um, first got into, like I, I like, like you like computers. Or did you do anything when you were younger? So uh, back in the day, I had, I started out with a TI-99 4A. <laughs> um, and that computer was interesting because uh, it, it had a peculiarity where if you would plug it into, uh, a lot of computers you took into the TV back then and they were modulated on channel three or channel four uh, uh, for the TV. And so that computer had a grounding oddity that when you would turn it on and turn the TV up real loud, you could hear a slight hum in the circuitry. And anytime you would press a key or the computer would scroll or list or do anything, it had a, some slight tones it would emit. And since I didn't have a synthesizer, that's how I learned to program by the sound of those tones. Wow. Um, so it was really interesting because <laughs> at that time, I didn't have a synthesizer for that one. And then I moved on to the Apple II family, uh, where I had synthesizers for that. Uh, went to the Apple IIe, Apple IIc, then an Apple II GS, and then finally to the IBM PC. So, and the Apple II is all predated, like the, the cool Macs. Uh, but that's, I also learned to program in 6502 Assembler. And that was for Adair. Uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, um, so... It was very difficult to get books in accessible format when I was little. Nowadays, of course, I just go to the internet and get anything I want. But uh, and, and that is one thing that has enabled my success, and I'll get back to that soon. But um, So I couldn't get accessible materials back then, so my mother would read or braille books that I needed. And so I asked her one day, I said, Mom, I said, there's a kid at school, and he's, he's made me angry. He says, I can't learn this. And I said, so I want to learn this assembler over the summer. My mom, having no idea what assembler was, agreed to read this Apple assembly book for me. She said had she known, she would not have agreed to it, but, uh, but she did read it on the tape, and I did learn 6502 assembler that summer. Wow. Uh, so, so and she I, probably learned a little bit, too. Uh, yeah, she, she said I always brought her the weirdest stuff to read. I used to read, NASA used to make a publication called NASA Tech Briefs, and it was all the space spinoff stuff and things that, that, that they did that, that related to, at that time, it was plastics and... Uh, and tech and things that, that anyway, so I always used to read that because it's fascinating and, and you learn, but technology has always been a fascination of mine. Mm -hmm. I was told when I was a child that being blind, that I only had a few career choices. Uh, one of them was that I could be a preacher. Well, I know I don't have the morals <laughs> to do that. Um, or maybe I do have the morals you, to do that. But you're loud yeah. like a preacher. <laughs> so I, uh, I don't have the morals to be a preacher. I did not want to be Stevie Wonder. Um, so the, the only other thing was to go into, at the time, them newfangled things called computers. That's what one of my relatives said. And, um, and I did that and I've never looked back. It, it has, it has always given me something challenging to do. And as the field has expanded and as online resources have expanded, I have been able to, to grow and learn in so many ways that I, that I have, would have never had the opportunity to do. Especially with, um, just you showing off your smartphone. Compared to what I would say, twenty years ago, like right? A lot of changes in um, for accessibility. So in my um, on on my iPhone, I use VoiceOver and it speaks, and I have many applications on my phone. Everything from a gadget, to an application to tell me whether lights are on, uh, to things that can tell me the colors of things. I have a, a program that identifies money. I have a talking scientific calculator which of course does hex and all the other cool stuff, but I can do hex in my head, so I don't need the calculator for that. Um, but uh, there are, 
uh, innumerable barcode scanners so that I can scan barcodes and tells me what things are. Um, it's, it's a great resource. GPS location uh, stuff so I can find out where I am. Uh, I have an application that uh, called Ira where I can uh, call a, a, what we call a visual interpreting agent and they can tell me what they see, what I see around me so that I know where things are. Uh, it's any number of applications. I can read any kind of format of book you can think of from audio to PDF or whatever. Um, and it's a great equalizer. It's, it's a huge equalizer because uh, now information has become accessible even even to those who may not have the resources to get it. It's, it's so much more accessible than it used to be. And that makes it, in, in my view, that gives a lot more people the opportunities to succeed. You mentioned NASA. You ever want to be an astronaut? Or like, you know, just go into space. So, I, so that is funny. I did. My, my big dream, I wanted to be an astronaut so bad. And I, I, never, uh, I never had the opportunity at that time. There are now partnerships with the National Federation of the Blind and NASA. And there are actually some blind NASA employees and that sort of thing. And oh. that would have been great to do. I was, I was about, I was a few years too early for that. But, but I am so glad that, that those opportunities exist now. Definitely, I am fascinated by space and the things that it can offer. Again, I believe that long-term exploitation of that type of technology is going to enable many, many more people to grow and succeed. It's one of those multiplier things. You went to college, that you didn't finish, but you still you know, proved successful. Do you talk to like younger people? Do you feel like they should immediately go to college after they graduate? Or like how, how do you view that? So society, we, we encourage people to go to school and go to college. And we tend to believe that that is the only path to success. I'm not convinced of this. I'm not sold on this. I'm not against it. But I do believe that there are more ways to be successful. Is it harder? It is most definitely harder if you don't go to college because you miss out on some opportunities, things like that. Of course, the downside of that is college is fairly expensive now. I'm actually one of the proponents of, of free education for all through college, but that's, that's another, another discussion. But, but one of the things that that I believe firmly is that education, no matter how you achieve it, whether you go to college or whether you do like I did and you learn on your own, uh, however you learn, educating yourself is absolutely necessary because uh, it is it is the learning and, and that's how you grow in your in whatever you're going to do. We never stop learning and I don't, even today, I, I keep a reading list of things that I want to do and, and I, I have a, a limit for myself. I read so many fiction books a month but I always read one or two, uh, what I call personal growth books, something I want to learn or something I want to do. And that, to keep my mind sharp and, and keep on what I want to do, so I pick something that I'm interested in, whether it be the latest security, computer security stuff, or whether it be uh, the latest uh, language theory for, for computer languages. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's, I was reading about a new processor architecture uh, not too long ago, because it's fascinating how this stuff works. So always reading something to add to my knowledge pool because that, that helps me out. Not always in an obvious way, but it always does come back at some point to help me out. Yeah, that's really smart. It's, you know, like now it's harder to want to finish a book just because there's so much, many distractions on our smartphones. That is the truth. <laughs> so even I, even I uh, have just, I figured out my... So one of the things Apple does is they helpfully tell you how much screen time you're using. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so over the past, I've watched over the past, oh, I don't know, year or two, my screen time has increased like 500%. But I think that's just an artifact of switching 
used to, I was a big avid laptop user, and I have a laptop still, I still do this, right? I actually have a regular laptop and a MacBook and desktops and whatever, but more and more of my time is being spent on my phone because I can do so much more on it now. You know, we all do our banking from our phones, and, and I was just checking into my flight today on my phone and doing the rest of my cruise reservation on my phone, so I would have previously done it on my desktop, and now you just do it on your phone. You don't even have to get up off the couch, right? You just, mm -hmm. you just do it there. So I do my uh, Walmart shopping and Kroger shopping all on my phone. So it does lead to a lot yeah, of screen true. time. Yeah, that's true. We're spending a lot more time on it so, compared to, you know, being on our computer. Definitely. You, so, like, back to, like, learning. Like, have you, have you ever had any setbacks that where you, you kind of question, like, should I keep doing this? Or, you know, where you felt like, am I on the right path? Or, you know, or do you have it just a whole different mindset? And, so one of the things that when I was in college the first time, one of the things that discouraged me, was it was very difficult to get up-to-date books in the computer field. Um, and at that time, they were all recorded on, uh, gasp, cassette tape. Um, <clears throat> so, and you had to request a book a year in advance, and volunteers would record it. And, and the quality of the recording was, volunteers are great, right? They do their best. But they're not always math and computer people, so. I see. Uh, so you're, so you, you're saying that people have to, uh, like, they, they, they physically read it, for you. Read yeah. it on yeah. the tapes, yes. Um, and it took a long time. Uh, and that's one of the things that, that now is not the problem. So now there is an organization called Bookshare, and it's funded by the U.S. Department of Education. It's run by a company called Denatech. And so I am a member of Bookshare. And so I literally can go on this site and get any book that's published by any major publisher uh, that's computer-related, and it's there, and I can, I can download it and read it in a form that I can use. Uh, and that's huge. That's yeah. huge because it... It enables have the same material at the same time as my peers, and, and so I can compete on that uh, on that level. Mm -hmm. But that's not always been the case, and definitely uh, that's one of the things besides my just being generally a bad a bad fit for college in, in the beginning. That's one of the things that led me to to stop. Is it was so hard to get material. It's just discouraging, and you know, it, part of my attitude now was developed. Right, I was not always this cool. I have you have to grow into yourself. So um, it's one of those things that you you have to build your your strength and your stamina up. Just like if you want to become a good Olympian, you you start out by walking and then running and do whatever you do. So you have to exercise. You have to exercise your brain the same way. So you have to exercise your your personality the same way. You grow into yourself. Do you feel it's harder to learn this stuff just by reading online? So like we you know, we all met. I met you you know through through Sean through a love, which is a Unix or Linux users group, and a lot of people, they're having a hard time, you know, learning even from, you know, to get from start to start. So I think it's a, I think it's a learning style question. Everybody has styles of learning. Some people are reading learners. Some people are visual learners. Some people learn from lectures, um, and I think that that part of it is. I, I do definitely think that if you're going to do the online route, you have to have a lot more self-discipline. Because nobody is going to stand there and, and hover over you and make you read that book. You either do it or you don't, right? And then you can choose whether to apply it or not. If, if, if you read a book and it, it goes in one ear and out the other, then that's, you, you, you lose it. You have, to, you have to have a lot of self-discipline. Um, we kind of see this in, in school in a way. So when you're in high school, everybody holds your hand and you get your stuff turned and whatever. When you go to college, there's a lot less supervision. And so most of the professors don't care whether you go to class or not. Well, you can think of 
self-learning as as college on steroids. You um, you can you can pick it up. You can read it. You can not read it. You can do it. You can not do it. Uh, nobody's going to force you either way. And so you really have to be. You really have to find that motivation. Yeah, and I do. I do. I do like the one advice you had about a lady that you used to work with. Who would ask you like a ton of questions, and you recommended to write everything down. You know, and and it actually I, came back to haunt me a few times. Well, this is the type of winner I am a little bit. Like I like to take a lot of notes. I copious amount of notes. It was funny because I told her. I said I don't mind answering questions, but I don't want to keep answering the same questions over again. So I said, write down what I tell you. Not only did she write down what, what I told her, she would come back to me and quote me, and, mm -hmm. and she was correct, right? And, and but it. But it made me, it made me think, uh, you know, so I was, you know, careful what I said to her because I knew she would write it down. <laughs> but, um, but she, uh, she was, she was great. And uh, definitely that is something uh, also, but writing down does two things. When you write something down, uh, it, it helps you to remember, but it also, uh, it also gives you that reference to go back to, but kind of helps to cement the concept in your brain as well. Yeah. Yeah, so you started a, a lug when you were working for, you know, an ISP. Did you, what kind of stuff did you learn from that? So I would pick things that I thought would be interesting as a general kind of interest thing, things that I had dabbled in enough to have some expertise in, not always not always great expertise, but some. And uh, so I, my goal was, was twofold, well, threefold, I guess. One was I wanted to expand my knowledge. Two was I wanted to provide a common, a common, technology theme that people could kind of get around and enjoy. But the third thing I wanted to do is to help nurture talent um, and, and see where that kind of goes. Because um, it's, it's if you find something that you're interested in, people find something they're interested in and you do it, then that helps to that helps to bring people together. Of course, we, we always group on common things. We're humans. So we as we group, we group on common things. So whether that be our uh, our shared interest in I don't know candle making or whether that be our shared interest in podcasting or in, in our case the shared interest in Linux so you group on things you're interested in and so hopefully uh, hopefully it, it, it spawned some some good talent and some and some good uh, good things came from that yeah so. definitely <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> I, 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 I spawned a career there and then when I continued the lug some of those people came and worked for me. So, yeah, it's, Definitely. it's, it's, it's gone all around. Uh, the one story I really like, I think it's a good good time to get in there. We usually met at the ISP because 90% of the uh, people work there. One time we couldn't meet there. I won't get into why. <laughs> one time we couldn't meet there. Kelly actually housed it at his at his house. And you, do you remember who showed up? Um, do not. The bright net guys. So oh, yeah, our, it's true. Uh, you're right. Uh, we, yes. were, we were all sitting there, and these other nerdy-looking dudes knock it's on like the door. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, right. it's basically the, the competing the, ISP. The other right. ISP for like Northwest Ohio. Yeah, it's, it's. I'm trying to think of a like a like a movie example where it's like, I don't know, red red, red team versus the blue team. It's right. Like, all of a sudden, the bad guys show up, but there's no animosity. It's <laughs> yeah. business to business, and then all of a sudden, we're just within five minutes trading you know war stories back and forth and it really showed what was important to the the people the engineers who made stuff work 
you know, right. we all went back to our home teams at the end of the day. But that, that day was really, really cool. And we all enjoyed it. We, we did. We installed PF and we played with a whole bunch of different stuff. And, and yeah. we, we all got exposed to things we hadn't been exposed to before, which was really cool. I do remember that now. And, and uh, uh, we shared lots of food and fun doing stuff like that. Um, Daisy even um, for sure. talked about FreeBSD. Mm -hmm. Yep, that that's when we did PF. Yeah. Yep, that's <laughs> when we did put in PF. And, and, yeah. and of course, um, it definitely uh, helps to be cross-fertile in our in what we do in our imaginations and in, in our uh, goals and things because we get to share that way but they wouldn't come to w coil because the you know the animosity of course um, so yeah so w coil yes another isp i guess i should introduce i'm going to just introduce three here we're in, in the middle of this thing so we got this is kelly prescott we've been friends with them for i don't know a long time like so. I, I, I started, so I'm, I'm, I'm Sean, um, I started at the ISP right at, right around 2000, right around the, the turn of the millennium, um, and he was already their, their senior network administrator, and I was in the, the tech support area. And we had met there, and I almost immediately started going to the Boulder Accuser group, which is intimately tied, but not, but organization, organizationally separate from the ISP, uh, but very quickly I said, I would like to shadow you. That All right, the, hold on. Yeah, what was the first thing that uh, Kelly like, showed you? I guess that like, stood out. Because I do remember well, like, well, well, in, in, in the so. theme earlier, of, you know, methods of learning, it was, it was very apt to do, particularly because the internet resources were light, you couldn't just read a thing and know a thing. Particularly with Linux and setting up services on, you had to kind of do it. Yeah, you, you had to actually do it. And on top of that, virtual machines weren't a thing yet, at least not in the x86 world. Right. No, you, you, it was not definitely not very. So we had <laughs> Linux boxes, and sure enough, I think you probably donated a 286 yeah. to me. I think I have a Hewlett Packard that came from your house. I think that'd be the case. Yes. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. yeah, you guys were talking about that earlier today about you, you all saw I got rid of that. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> We had so many metal yeah. giant gray box, you know, beige yeah. computer boxes by the other apartment. Yeah. And we yeah, take I, so much for granted now because now we just do all <laughs> yeah. everything virtual. There's no there's no hardware anymore. I do I do everything in Amazon EC two, so mm -hmm. there's no I mean, I have some hardware at home, but very little compared yeah, to what so I used like, to have. I still you guys have a network feel, box downstairs. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you guys both feel like you might as well just go virtual and that you don't really need a, a crappy old... Because you, you still have to do the thing. You still have to do the still thing. You still have to do the yeah. work. Yeah, unless you care about inserting cards and slots and praying to God it doesn't catch fire. Well, so it's more about like probably cost. So it's like, or the you'd have to have a little uh, extra knowledge of setting stuff up. Depending on where it is. There is a lot of... In the last twenty years, there I dated. I dated her. Um, I dated us. All of us, yeah. We, <laughs> um, in the last twenty years, whole new paradigms. I was going to say strategies, but really paradigms for administration. I'm, Kelly, back me up. The tactics and tools we use don't apply anymore. To Fight, some degree, fighting, fighting. yeah. To I mean, some degree, because yeah. I, I still, to this day. I still administer most of my boxes through the command line. Mm -hmm. I still use uh, upgraded versions, but still the same tools I used years ago because they work, right? And I can script what I need. And now that I do a lot more Windows administration than I ever used to do, uh, I stick with that theme. I use lots of PowerShell. If 
there's one thing I can tell you, uh, forget about your Windows GUI and learn PowerShell. And the reason is, is because you will learn how your systems really work. When you, when you, and I've always made this argument, and I, and I have religious wars about this with people, but it's okay. So I've always made this argument. When all you do is sit in front of a screen and you click things, you don't understand how things really truly work. To, to get out of that habit, uh, dig into it. Okay, break stuff. Understand it. Um, <laughs> dig into the mechanics of it. Uh, that's why I learned Assembler. That is, that is one of the best ways to, to start because then you learn how your processor works. Once you learn how your processor works, then you learn how everything else works because it all falls from that. If you ever cry about C pointers and C, like, oh, I really want to know pointers. <laughs> Do it in assembly. And then see, oh yeah, see, that just makes sense. That just, yeah. it just, it just, right. it's, not, it's not do the harder thing, it just pulls back any sort Because it of teaches you about architecture. Yeah. Then you can so. see what they're actually getting at with the pointer. So yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, I don't think the tools are different. I think we, as a, as a, as an, as a group admins, treat them differently. For example, I still, to this day, people, I administer all my Cisco, all my Fortigate, all my stuff with the command line. Now, everybody else claims they've moved on to the GUIs, that's fine, but I, I will make a wager that I can beat you at the command line any day. You can have your GUI and you can do whatever you want, but I can do things at the command line you can't. Just because the command line is more flexible. And I, I, to this day, have things in all of my routers and firewall equipment that cannot be done through the GUI. Just because I, it's I not flexible GUIs, enough. That's a back step. That's, that's, if anyone's arguing that. I was more thinking like trashing Linux boxes instead of updating making new images and booting them. Um, so we, we never traditionally, uh, in all the administration work and when I teach people, I, I, I teach people don't update, reinstall and refix because, because you learn a lot more that way. Mm -hmm. And you can, like I do sometimes, you know, update whatever. But again, you know, you, you, you end up having a lot of cruft that way and you, can, you know, and you can learn to clean it out and figure out what's important and what's not. Answering your question, it was setting up that router box. In fact, it was a, I don't think you were in the picture yet. Mm -hmm. It was a whole day. You like Kobe and Gilroy. Yeah. And this guy took me to Office de office Depot, said, hey, buy it. Frame on plenty alone at home. A hub. Not yes. a switch. Uh -huh. No, we didn't. It did not switch. switch. Yeah. yeah. And then this uh -huh. guy I've known for like a month drops it. <laughs> you remember that? It banged all over your floor, and you pick it up and you shake it. I didn't know enough about electronics to know it. to know that's actually a really good test. But you shook it, and you're like, it's fine. I'm like, it's better working. You know, forty bucks. And forty bucks is important. Yeah, then, yeah, right? that, that's like a hundred bucks back. Forty then. bucks was important back then. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, you I mean, probably what seventeen? No, you're probably sixteen. Sixteen, seventeen, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, I did get that SP before I turned eighteen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So yeah, so I mean, I was, I think I could drive, and I drove over to your house. Yeah. Um, there was yeah. a part. Uh, there was a part where I didn't drive. That yeah. was the first. Ah, you know what? That's the first email I ever got from you. There was a. I was on the Lima Lug list, and I knew you were in charge of it. And we were going to meet somewhere else besides W Coil. I said, "Hey, I'd really like to go. I sort of need a ride. Can anyone help me out? Because most of the people on the on the Lima Lug list were also my employees. So I just could." I felt comfortable just, or not my employees, my coworkers. I just felt comfortable emailing that to the list. And this clown says, "Yeah, I'll give you a ride." And I'm like, "I'm, I'm sitting in my, in my in my in my room. It's dark at night. I'm like, is he is he, is he kidding? 
I think he's I think he's got a wife. Is he kidding? Is he messing with me? But I also my word like is he drive really? a car? Yeah, yeah, he's had before. Um, there there was an incident with a motorcycle and yeah. some friends of mine and and I I can remember we did this whole motorcycle thing and then uh, my boss took me to the office the, the next morning. He said, I hear about you riding on this motorcycle and I hear you're driving it. And he's like, you don't need to get yourself killed. I don't have insurance on you yet. <laughs> it was another coworker that did it too. So yeah, I'm was. sure he got talking to me. Well. Uh, um, yeah. But, but, but yeah, we, it was a whole day. I mean, I was at his house probably till like 11 midnight. Yeah. yeah. Because, because remember. You're young. You didn't have anywhere else to well, do. Well, yeah, anything else to do. But, that's, but that's, that, yeah, this is the thing we were kind of pointing to, like where you should definitely put yourself in situations where you can find places of employment and be, mm-hmm. you know, just like meet people that are in that field already, oh even if you don't know anything. <laughs> it is Three nice or four to job offers from that place. Four. Yeah, I got four. Yeah, the county. That's yep. I knew yep. Joe. I knew Joe. It's really nice to it's it's really nice to uh, enjoy the work you do. You know, not everybody has the luxury of working in something they like. I like the work I do. I don't always like the politics that goes with the work I do, right? Because that's just that's that's any job. But I do like the work I do. It it is. I work for currently. I work for a automotive logistics company. We do a lot of work for Honda. But I do work for them, and I refer to the network as my network because I built it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we built it, rebuilt it from pretty much from scratch, and it's my network. Mm-hmm. And and it's just it, it. I take a great pride in it, uh, and it's something that I, I truly enjoy doing. And there's there's always there's there's kind of a you feel proprietary about it because you've nurtured it and you built it, and you take care of it, and and you want it to to be the best it can be. Um, so someone criticized me one time for saying my, it's the company's. Well, and I said, no, no if, it's you mine. if you don't own it, if you don't take a personal involvement in it, and you're not doing a good enough job. Right. Sure, they can own it, but you have to get to a place where you're saying, it's mine. And, and I, I, I do. I, with your coworkers. I say that about my servers, too. My servers, my network, my, because mm-hmm. it is. It is. I very much own them and, and take care of them, you know. Just, just like you know, my dog. You have a, I, a connection to it. Something absolutely, you absolutely. Was, you, know, you, you made it alive. <laughs> and I, I have a pride in it. You know, there's a. Um, I take great pride in what I do. Um, it's, it took me a long time to learn this stuff, and I, I am thankful that I have been given opportunities, and that I have had the opportunities I've had in life. So I'm grateful for what I do, and I'm thankful for the fact that I have the ability to do it. And so I take, I take great pride in that. So how do you guys feel about, you know, so you started to talk about how you started creating your own boxes at home, and then you kind of saw the evolution of virtual boxes, you know, and then AWS. So one of the things that I, I, when I first started building hardware, (laughs) the first hardware I ever built was an i386SX25 with uh, one meg of RAM um, and, uh, and a math coprocessor. Um, so I remember, I remember buying the board and the processor and the memory and putting it all together. It was hard. And, and because back then, nowadays your processors, uh, drop into sockets and you, you clip the little pin down, you're done. There's zero, the zero insertion forces, zip sockets. Uh, when, when I started, uh, there was all these itsy bitsy 9,376,825 pins that you had to line up and you had to physically push it into the socket and you had to feel it, push in and click. And if you wiggled it, you'd break those pins and you'd ruin your entire processor. And that was a lot of money. 
Um, and your board. Yep. You'd end up buying it all over because they would not replace it if you ruined it. That was a challenge, not being able to see, you know, and, and learning how to do that and get that done. I, I am proud to say I never broke one of those old processors. I came close, but I never broke one. And uh, so that was always, that was always nice. Then of course, moving on up, I, for years, I always built my own hardware. For one thing, it was cheaper. And again, you're trying to economize. You want everything as cheap as you can get it. So the only hardware I never built was laptops, of course, but so I always built my own hardware. And then starting in about 2007 or 2008, Amazon came out with this new offering and you could run virtualized computing on top of it. So I started with that. So I still had my own hardware, but I had it so some Amazon and it was nice because it would sit in the data center and I didn't have to babysit it. And so I started initially running my DNS like that because I was getting away from using other people's DNS. I just wanted my own and running my mail server virtually in the cloud and things like that. So I started with that and then moved up gradually and, and became to realize that the cloud was and virtual hardware was so much cheaper than building tons of, of boxes. Cause I used to have at one point in my home computer, I had 25 different boxes running. Um, didn't have to hit his house. Did not. That's not a joke. In fact, um, it's funny because uh, when I stopped using that room, moved out of that room, the pipes in it froze that winter because there was no heat in it. When the, that had never been a problem uh, because there was just so much heat in it. Yeah. Uh, I actually ran air conditioning in that room all year round. And I have enough computers in my apartment still that I still have an air conditioner in that room because it needs it in the summer because it still runs pretty warm. But, uh, but I don't have 25 anymore. I only have you know, seven or eight. I've, I've really, <laughs> really cut back. It's, it's you know. So. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, I just see it. I felt bad, though. Yeah, you know, they just kind of, they weren't plugged in. Yeah. No, I, 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 I um, But you still have one or two. Yeah. So I think it's ironic that, too, as we grow in technology, so used to, printers were expensive, and printer ink was expensive. <laughs> and so the, the, the cream of the cool was to get a laser printer. Now, back in the day, you can only afford black and white laser printers because, again, they were expensive. So now it's hilarious because I have in my office at home a fully color laser printer, office printer, scanner gadget that only cost me about $600 total. Really? Um, and it's, it's a business machine, right? It's, a, it's an HP full business unit. And the reason I have it is because, again, it's a, it's a tool for me. I scan large amounts of documents that I need to read. So I can just put a full bunch of pages on this and it scans it right into a PDF for me and does text recognition on it for me and then I can read it and I don't have to mess with it. Um, the color laser printing is just a side effect. I do um, like laser printers. They so, used to work around it a lot. And, and they're so much faster. Yeah. You should hook me up with that. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a good, it's a great printer. It's a great printer. So I don't care so much about the color part. I do about the scanning part and that, okay. that makes it, that's, that's worth the price of admission right there. Is it like a document scanner? It does. Yeah. On top of it. <laughs> and you can feed a hundred pages at a time and it'll just slurp them all through and PDF it for you. Is it double-sided? Uh, it is. It certainly is. <laughs> Gee, you just like. I know, I'm just like, good. But, but it's, but it's so cheap. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, 600 isn't a yeah, lot. Yeah, no, it's not. When, when a, a single laser printer with no scanner used to cost that. And then the ink probably lasts forever. Um, um, for me, I almost never print. Um, yeah. It dries up before you use it. Uh, well, I don't think it dries up. No, it's yeah, powder. Yeah, it's like a powder. Oh, okay. it Toner's a powder. Like, yeah, it's toner's a mess if you. So what's really funny, so we think about how technology changes, but even where I work, uh, it's, it's hilarious because we still have some old thermal printers. And we still have one old Panasonic KXP dot matrix printer that we use for bills of lading. And, and that thing will run forever, right? 
And, and if you look in niche markets, there are still, like airlines use dot matrix printers all the time. So certain niche markets use certain types of things. The medical industry is heavily reliant on faxing. I mean, we should have gotten rid of that in 1980, but uh, the medical industry is heavily reliant on faxing. So much so that when I do contracting, I still have a fax number because sometimes I need it. It's virtual, of course. There's no real fax machine. It just goes to a, my email. But, but there's certainly, um, you know, certainly some vertical markets where stuff like that is needed. I think you were getting on something with, with AWS earlier. I think where they really picked up steam is when they got into like the T2, T3 series. And then didn't just have small, but went micro. And now they got something stupid like nano. They do. And so you get these really, really ultra small instances for almost nothing. In fact, I think you, I think they do have a free tier where if you're not a, if you're just starting out, you can get a full year of, of a little instance and some storage for nothing. Yeah. But I use, I use uh, their full instances. I also have backups in S3 because they have their S3 storage, then they have their Glacier, then they have their deep archive. And I literally store all of my backups in deep archive. And, uh, and then I, I store them elsewhere too, but it gives me great redundancy and I probably have one of the best home backed up systems. And it's because I designed it to be a commercial system, uh, but I use it for myself. So uh, it's, it's very robust. Do you still do contracting? I do, not as much as I used to, uh, but I think I am going to get back more back into it. I, I've always liked the contracting. The, the, my biggest problem in contracting is I like the work. I don't like the, the paperwork and billing and all, which was always my weakness. But there are services and programs to help with that now, so I may uh, start using some of that and get back into it uh, yeah. because I always enjoyed that. Because you, you you could have so many varied things to do. You know, one day you might be uh, you might be recovering a, a database. The next day you might be trying to figure out how to make a, a wireless network behave. Uh, the next day you might be uh, trying to figure out uh, why none of the machines can can go past uh, well, I don't know 50k on your network. Oh wait, you didn't buy your Cisco licenses. <laughs> anyway, real thing. So, it is. It is. That's why. <laughs> I remember when you guys got super excited about the cert. What was that? CA cert. CA cert. Yeah. yeah. And now we have. And now we have Let's Encrypt. Um. And and that that is such a freeing thing. Uh, Snowden helped us with that. We gotta we gotta thank Snowden. Thank you, Snowden. <laughs> anyway, so we gotta thank him for that because it 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 brought the awareness of the need for encryption. Because even yeah. if even if people are benign, right, you don't want to just throw it all out there for them. So I use I use them all the time. My home firewall actually has a tool in it that uh, every so often it renews its cert, so that when I go to my firewall, it actually has a legitimate certificate to encrypt my traffic to it. So you know, so I can talk to it. So you're very um, cautious about like your your data right away, like what you're you know you make sure everything's encrypted and. I do. So, so I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not crazy enough to think that uh, my data can't be read. I just make it difficult enough that if somebody wants to do it, they're going to expend some effort. Yeah. Um, so I, I encrypt everything I do. Uh, I'm not a VPN fanatic. I don't uh, try and hide my traffic because the truth is, on the internet, if people can make all the claims they want, but nothing on the internet is truly anonymous. You can hide all you want. There's actually a VPN called Hide My Ass, which is funny. Um, but, uh, so you can hide all you want, but your browsers have enough fingerprinting in them that if somebody really wants to find you, they probably can. So there's, uh, there's that, uh, and so I don't really do that, but I do try and keep my cookies and caches clear, and I try not to do too much, and I do have, uh, some advertising blocking and things like that that I use in my firewall, not in my computer itself, that way it strips a lot of the ads and things, uh, just because, you know, 
and anytime I can make my, my browsing experience better, I do. So. Did working at an ISP ever influence you on like, oh, I should really be careful? Actually, that is what what made because uh, because one of the one of the functions I performed was I did a lot of subpoena service. Yeah. Uh, so they would when they would service the subpoenas, I was usually the one that answered it, and so I actually enlisted Chomp's help several times and things like that. But <laughs> but definitely um, definitely knowing the kinds of things that were asked for and that we had to provide by law uh, definitely influenced me and and just the fact of me knowing how much I was able to find. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. So it's yeah. nice to be careful. And that was the era of like of Bearshire and LimeWire. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the, 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 the music pirates yeah. and and then and then of course um, we had uh, and a couple of more famous fun things. We had uh, we were contacted by the Secret Service once because yeah. some user I guess made a threat and and let's see we got contacted by the FBI one time because I seem to recall. It was, Bush or somebody was coming into town and they wanted to do a bunch of research before he came and stuff, which I had no idea that that was important, but it was, right? Wow. So, so yeah, definitely <laughs> things like that. The, the FBI is scary because if, if it's like a, yeah. be careful when I say this, uh, I had another coworker that would get a call from like just local law enforcement and he would say, Officer Johnny, I'll help you with whatever you want by any subpoena. Well, we can do things the hard way. He's like, yeah, you can. That's the subpoena. You have to get it. When the FBI calls, like, hi, this is blah, 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 the whatever office for the FBI. I'm looking for information on blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, Agent, you know, Agent, you know, Jones, I'm very interested to help you. He's like, yes, you need a subpoena for me. I sent one to 419. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, it's printing it's already, out. It's already done. He's right? like, it's printing out now. So, the, and I yeah, like, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, I heard. Yeah. Yep. Just as I go downstairs, and this is a subpoena for the FBI, I'm like, Agent Jones, is, can I get you at, yes, the email that is included. Yeah, You guys definitely have to serve that information or... Promptly. You know, yep. Yeah. And by law, <laughs> that's true. Now, the only other thing, and, and again, and we can argue, you know, political things all day, but uh, the, the thing I did not like is that in certain instances, the Secret Service and the FBI can do what they call a national security warrant, which means that they don't need a subpoena in the traditional sense. And when they say that, I mean, you will do what they want. You just have to. Uh, because that's 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 the law, it's the requirement. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if they invoke that, you know, you know it's pretty serious. So we had a friend that would always talk about how if you're trying to get rid of your data, you're gonna have to use some zip thermite. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we'll have to have a drive. But I mean it doesn't matter because like you said, yeah. like our you know, the ISPs already have that information. So your personal data is one thing, right? You can you can scrub your personal data all day long and, and you should, right? You should always have um, I call it good data hygiene. So I encrypt all my data. Uh, I back up, I, I encrypt all my backups. Um, if you stole my laptop today, you wouldn't get anything useful because it's all encrypted. I carry around a, a YubiKey for uh, decryption. So, you know, I, it's, it's a great tool. I recommend it highly. But, but my point is, uh, good data hygiene is always nice to have, but you have to remember that the data on your computer is just one part of your data. You hand data every day to cloud providers and service providers and whatever. Uh, and that data is always available to law enforcement. So it's, it just is. I had, speaking with kind of a non-technical person, and, and Facebook had made some change to privacy settings or whatever, and they were throwing all kinds of fits. And I said, look, I pulled the network engineer card. I was like, when you establish a connection to their server, you are transmitting that data. It's no longer yours. Right. It's... You might as well just give it up. So for me, all my settings open all the time. 
guess, because it, and, and there have been times, I'll be honest, I went to like say, like, I would say this to my friends, but I might not say that to my coworkers. Right. So I just don't. Ready for it? Uh, I just don't say it. <laughs> 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 I was like, yeah. Just, yeah, good advice. Right, let, me, let me pull that back. If you are trying to pursue a career and, you know, and all that. So the truth is, about. sorry. The truth is, once you post it online, it's posted. Yeah, you're done. Yeah. So if you if you don't want it publicly known, then don't post it. So we were talking a little bit about cryptocurrency earlier. You said that you had a Bitcoin wallet. Back in the lost. day when it was fun to do, I generated about 50 Bitcoin. And I do not to this day remember the password or anything for my wallet. So I've lost out on a whole bunch of money. Um, uh, because but this was a long time ago. And, and I never it never thought it would amount to anything. Yeah. So yeah, so I lost a whole bunch of money because I do not know the, the password for my Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> but, like, but also, like, you're kind of saying, like, how, you know, even with a lot of people think their stuff is anonymous, um, even if crypto, it's, it's not. No, because in the end, let's, let's go back to basic internet architecture. In the end, everything is done from an IP address, okay? And no matter how many layers of IP addresses you go to obfuscate it, we can always go back, right? And someday, at some point, we're going to say, this came from an IP address that was DHCP registered to this cable modem in this house. That cuts it down greatly, right? So eventually, you can be found. I mean, there's no, there's no magic bullet. You're, you always have an endpoint somewhere. Um, and it's just a matter of tracking that endpoint down. And there are awesome protocols designed to obscure it. And, but the, the problem is that with, even with Tor, I mean, the FBI runs most of the tour animizers, so I'm not sure that that's really a legitimate thing to use. So, just the exit mode. Right. Sure. <laughs> and, and that way they get to watch all the traffic. <laughs> so yeah, definitely, uh, definitely something to keep in mind. Um, uh, you know, if you want to be truly anonymous, then don't say anything, and then you're truly anonymous. <laughs> Is there anyone that you ever wanted to meet that's in that works at like a big IT company? So the one person I want to meet, and someday I will, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to do it. I want to meet Linus Torvalds. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason is, is um, I credit him and I credit Linux with, with giving me, uh, putting me where I am today. Had it not been for my interest in Linux and being able to pursue that, uh, I would not be in the positions I'm in today. Uh, everything that, that I've done and, and been into directly traces back to uh, that, uh, that little interest I had in compiling a kernel on a floppy disk from from uh, from Minix, and that everything traces back to that. And definitely, if that's that's the one person I would love to meet. You give him a big hug. Absolutely. <laughs> he, he he deserves it. Yeah. Or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he does. I think he does. Yeah. Um, uh, he was he was he was definitely visionary. And you know, it's funny. Um, so Linux Journal was the Linux magazine, and it's, it's, it's sadly gone now, but I own every issue of it, I'm proud to say, and I subscribe to it, uh, even though it was print, I had to have it read to me at the time, but that's okay. Um, I had some very good conversations with Phil Cook and all, and when it became accessible and all, it was great. So, um, but uh, Linus said in a very early interview, he said, Linux will rule the world. He, he, he was right, just in, in the wrong way. He had no idea that it would be in almost every crazy little device that we had. I think his, his vision might have been for it to be on people's desktops and whatever, but it's not. It's in almost every ancillary device you use. Desktop box, it's in your it's in your doorbell, it's in your camera, it's in all kinds of things.
So, so in a way, his his prediction has come true. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm gonna. This is somebody else's thing. It's a very snotty approach because he's, he's sort of a Microsoft shill, but my boss at work, and I would say this to his face, <laughs> um, my boss at work said, yeah, the Linux desktop of the year is actually Windows. And sure enough, yeah, I, I, I knew Kelly back when we were like straight up Windows haters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to be honest, WSL on uh, Windows ain't bad. It isn't bad. It's, a it's an abomination, but it's not bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Architecturally, truly an abomination. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you want to know the funniest thing? Microsoft is working on a project. I believe I was reading about this uh, that they want to actually. Rumor has it they want to actually port the Windows kernel to a Linux kernel and ultimately be a Linux kernel. Now that will be the ultimate coup right there. Um, yeah. And and I believe that right now Microsoft is the biggest contributor to Linux right now. Isn't that weird? It is it's weird. Crazy. It is how this comes around. It is weird. And Bill Gates is like, whatever. Yeah. I got nah, Steve Bomber's the one like, Linux is cancer! <laughs> uh -huh. And then 2000. And now, and now he's got the cancer, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is funny because. Wait, where is Steve Bomber? Is he still working? Uh, he's on his job. He's fine. Yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> in the Mediterranean he's, somewhere. He's yeah. retired. He's, uh, so exactly. it is definitely one of those things, though. Uh, we sit back and, we, and, and I can reflect. So uh, I've been in Linux since. 1991, so that's almost 32 years. Um, or maybe it was 1990, in, in that realm anyway. Long enough, uh, so um, definitely it has been it has been a time. And, and, and as I think back on this stuff, so I can remember back in the day when every quarter I would order the Slackware CD set because I wanted the latest, and so it was called InfoMagic. That's what it was called, it was called InfoMagic. And I remember, I, I waiting with bated breath for those CDs to come in the mail, and Dad blame it every time they'd come. The case was cracked and whatever, but I didn't care because the CDs were great, and and I would share them and I would put I put them up on the when I worked for WCoil and I still got them. I put them up on the WCoil FTP server so everybody could get them, um, and that's how we got our Red Hat installs and all that. Because at that time we had T1s, you couldn't just go blow anything down on the internet. You wanted it took a yeah. long time to download, so uh, we got the InfoMagic CDs every quarter, and I re religiously. Uh, whipped out my CDs because I can remember when it was one CD and then it was two and then it was three and then it was four and I think it got away up to six or eight before they quit doing it. It had it, it just it was an archive of almost everything Linux related up to a certain point. So they just keep all the CDs. Uh, I did not. <laughs> I did not. No, you get your backup. I've got I got the Zoot. Zoot. Some. Six Red Hat six point two Zoot. Uh, yeah, first, you probably do. Yeah, first Red Hat. Yeah, I kept the box. CD. Yeah, Lemelug. <laughs> they they would take dues, kind of ha ha, and it was mostly just to buy pizza. Right. And then, That's all we did with it. Yeah. Well, and then you also uh, uh, um, pressed a bunch of CDs. Okay. I say I say pressed because CDs were burnt, but then they put them in like color coded. Yeah. Yeah, um, they, they yeah. put labels on them and they exactly. color code the thing. Yeah, they, they, they had their own. So we actually structure. bought, <laughs> I'll never forget this. Uh, my wife at the time helped me to do this too. We, we had a, we bought a printer just to print CD labels. Uh, I, I personally bought this and we had a, to do that. And then we bought a, we called it a CD stomper. Mm -hmm. And you put the CD on it and you push it down and put the label on the CD correctly so it would stay on. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, all the things we did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I have the, the 6.2, uh, 
Uh, don't install seven. It's bad news. Right? No, no, se- seven point two was the one that like shipped with the security vulnerability. Yeah. So remember seven. Anyway, about seven three, I was like, okay, I'm yeah, done keeping CDs. Yeah. But. <laughs> so, but we had um, so it's funny because hang on, throw us at home. When we say Linux six point two, we mean Red Hat six point two from the early two thousands. Not 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 well. Yeah. Six. Yeah. Go on with your story. <laughs> um, so there's uh, definitely some things here, and, and I find it fun because now we are at uh, kernel um, five. Uh, no, we're at kernel six point yeah, something now, six point two or something. I know. So, um, so one of the things that when I first started doing Linux, we had to, you had to always compile your own kernel. You couldn't just there were not pre-compiled kernels for the most part. You compiled your own because you had to get your drivers and stuff. Then the kernel was not very modularized. So, um, so I got away from that later uh, because you could get packaged kernels, and so then I went back to a, to a thing called Linux from scratch because I wanted to relive and recompile and do all that, and it's real because you can do all that again. Uh, so I uh, used Ubuntu, and I still use it. I use Ubuntu for my server stuff. It's just easy, and, and Canonical does a great job, so I, I do use it. Uh, and so uh, then uh, I use for my home stuff though I use Arch Linux because it's more like the distributions I like. It's it's much more uh, uh, text-based, it's a text install, uh, and you, you have much more customization options for it, so I kind of like it. That's just kind of my go-to home install is Arch Linux. Yeah, because I mean, and I think by the time Fedora came out, that's where you're like, now let's just do Ubuntu. Yep, that's where Red Hat split. Red Hat, Fedora mm-hmm. is the non, uh, that's the free version of Red Hat's commercial side. That's where they do their testing and stuff, so, um, uh, so of course it's the Fedora of the hat. Um, so uh, then we have uh, uh, the Ubuntu stuff, uh, which is nice. Uh, and the good thing about Ubuntu, right, it has almost every package known to man, and that's good. And of course, you can, you can do Debian. Debian's awesome. It's great. Every distribution, in my view, has its place. It depends on what you want it for and what you want to do. So they're all good. And now, the one thing I can say for Linux, again, I, I owe a lot of thanks to Linux, but Linux has also kept me employed because... I have, uh, in the job I'm in, I use a lot more Windows than I ever used to. But because of my involvement in Linux and because of my, uh, my, wed- my wedding to the command line and, and shells and things like that, so I use PowerShell and Windows almost all the time. But I also have installed on Linux Microsoft PowerShell. And I use PowerShell on Linux as well because they provide it, and it's how you, great. How do you feel about that? Um, it's, 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 it's here to stay, right? Yeah. And it makes it nice because my Linux machines at work are integrated with my Active Directory, so the users all are, are common, and it just makes life easier, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not against it. I do say this. The nice thing about Windows, if you <clears throat> run a Windows network, you will never be unemployed. So <laughs> yeah. there you go, guys. That's the one thing Windows is good for. You will never be unemployed. So like you're talking about distros. How do you feel about Kali, Kali Linux? There's a lot of uh, hackers. I'm doing the quotes. That are into that, but I always tell people like just use you know Debian or something. You know, I've used Kali, and I Debian? if people want to install it, they can. I won't get with that. I primarily install my own, and because I like to compile my own hacker tools. So even when I do password penetration testing for work or whatever, I still install my own uh, and do my own hacker tools because I want to know what they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much if I run something on my system, I want to know what it's going to do to me. So I very much vet my own stuff. I think that's what I don't think Rachel is really leading with the question, uh, but well, that's yeah. That's what I found is when I, I've had a lot of experience teaching high school students, and if they're like, "Oh, Kali Linux, it's got everything done for me," 
Right. And I kind of put my hand on the shoulder like, so Sammy, what did you do? I ran the tool. Yeah, yeah nice. it's like this. What happens? People like find that so like, oh, this is really cool, and that, that is that is something to uh, play with. But it also kind of takes away. You're jumping in too deep. Where if you had never used Linux before, I don't think that's the way to go. They, <laughs> they can compromise the box, get on it, and go. Right like, now, what? <laughs> One of my favorite things I like to do with news newbies is I go, I go. I'll say, I'll give you two numbers, and you tell me the rest of the address space. And they're like, how do you do that? I'm like, you should know it. I'm like, you should be able to do hex and decimal and binary in your head. That freaks everybody out. Um, but but the reason is, is that's how the internet is based, right? That's how all the addressing is based on that. And if you can do that, then that makes you a much better. So I can look at, and of course, I did design it, that's true. But even when I was with an ISP, I could do this. I can look at any address block and I can tell you a lot about it just by looking at it because I can take two numbers and I can tell you what the rest of the block is. Also, you know you've been in the internet too long when you can look at a MAC address prefix and you know what company it belongs to. Uh, yeah, you know you've been in the internet too long. You did. And when you can look at an IP address range and know what company it belongs to, you've been in the internet too long. And I can do both of those things, so that tells me that I've been in the internet too long. I, I can still pick up AppNIC, but yeah. just because I hate those. Yep. The 90s and 200s. Yep. So, yeah, definitely you, you develop a skill set, right? I, I probably don't have... I can do the I can do the base the, the 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 base ranges anymore. I was working with a coworker and somehow networking came up and I just kind of mumbled, "Oh yeah, this is the slash twenty two, so that means this." And they're like, "Wait, how'd you do that?" It's, it's, it, it became a parlor trick, right? But it, it had in the moment it had it had usage, and I just said, "You know, we're not doing enough networking here for this to really matter." Right. Said, but, yeah, yeah, networking's pretty important still for everybody. You know, like, and that seems to be a thing that people are not. Yep. concentrating on and I feel like that's something that to pursue on your own time and you something know? you have to remember is there's always troubleshooting whether you are troubleshooting a big problem or a small problem troubleshooting doesn't change right just because just because you're not exposed to something doesn't mean it's not there if you troubleshoot a virtual machine a virtual network you're still troubleshooting it mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether it's real or not to your system it looks real so it behaves real so you still have you still use the same skill sets and even I do it right, so I can get I can get wound up in a project, and then I forget I forget when I'm troubleshooting to look at the small things. And this is funny because the other day at work this bit me, um, you know, because again, if somebody tells you they don't make mistakes in what they work on, then they're not being honest with you. We all make mistakes. It's, it's human nature, right? So we do. So I was working on uh, we had a sand problem, and I was like, oh, sand's dead. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have iSCSI, and it's a Synology. Now Synology has some really weird quirks about it I mean, because it's Synology. It's not as bad as QNAP, but it's close. One of the things Synology does not do well is it does not balance across its iSCSI lens very well. So, so I noticed that one of its interfaces was not communicating. Well, turns out that it was, it was sending out something which made the Cisco switch angry, and the Cisco switch shut the port down for security. And again, I was so caught up in the big problem, I didn't check out the basic troubleshooting. Oh, just re the Cisco port, and guess what? Everything works again. So I, I, I kind of got hung up in that. But sometimes that's the things we, that's the things we do. It's good to say you could like break things to learn. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot. Yeah. So don't you know be afraid to. Yeah. Don't don't hesitate do to build that. yourself something, even if it's virtual. Build it, break it, learn. Um, and you can actually do. Uh, you can actually go online now, and there are very inexpensive, especially if you're a college student. Colleges have access to most of this for free, actually. But even if you're not a college student, you can pay a very small amount of money and do this. You can build yourself all kinds of virtual equipment, virtual networks, and, and break them and check them out and see how they work. Most of what comes with 
I'm blanking on the name. What's the lesser project for the Switch that came with VirtualBox? They spun it out. Oh, Open Switch? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Open Switch, yeah. absolutely. So you, you basically get a software switch, and that's actually a whole paradigm called software-defined networking. Which yep. did, did that, in your opinion, did that take off? Oh, it has, definitely. Um, now, uh, you know, VMware and all the big guys, they do it now. Exclusively, I mean, is, is it is it their own proprietary thing, or do they, um, do they ever so it's got their proprietary GUIs, but underneath yeah. it, it's probably open switch. Each other. I thought the cloud mostly harmed that idea. They made their own abstractions for well, it. Well, they made their own abstractions for it, but they use it right. So yeah. even in my so like my Amazon cloud, my EC2 cloud contains virtual switches, a virtual networks that are connected by virtual VPN gateways and all kinds of stuff. So I connect my Chicago to my Ohio to my uh, uh, to my Hong Kong gateways and the stuff that I have. And it, the funny thing is, when I'm in the network, it just looks like it's all one thing. Here, here's the funny thing, and this is, this is where it, it is good. Follow the advice we're giving, because for the most part, all, I'm about to contradict myself. All the way down, it works just like a regular network, including switch ports, device ports, and then and then routers. But you can actually get some really weird ARP answers from it. You can, and that, uh, and that, so it, it's you can learn from that without breaking your brain. But you can you can also get some real weird ARP answers from new Cisco equipment too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I find it funny that back in the old days, um, Cisco used to boot and it would be Cisco IOX blah 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 iOS SX blah blah whatever. Nowadays, Cisco doesn't even hide the fact they use Linux. You just watch all their switches boot with Linux kernels. Mm -hmm. And again, that's one more place where Linux has just taken over. It's, it's Linux hardware on your switches, uh, and I think it's great. I think it's absolutely great. Uh, our We have a, a big DVR camera system for work that we use for uh, CPAC compliance and whatever. And, of course, I think it's funny that I'm blind and I maintain the cameras. But, hey, you know, it's the things we have to do. Uh, but uh, the camera system is a Linux system, uh, which is it's nice. You know, it's, it's a full Linux system. Linux is everywhere. People just don't realize it. Uh, my phone systems at work are Linux. Um, router that does our internal... T1 circuits is Linux. I mean, everything's Linux. You got here, man. You lived the dream when we got here. It's great. It's great. How do you think that happened? Just because it's free? It's free and it's it's extensible, right? So one of the things, uh, when, when Linus designed it, it was designed to be, it was originally designed to be economical and small, right? So that hasn't changed. So we've just grafted more stuff onto it. So you can still build a really small kernel. I mean, your Android phone. Android is Linux. Android is Linux with a bunch of Google stuff slapped on top of it. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it is. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, most uh, modern MP3 players are based on Linux in some form. Do people even use MP3 players anymore? They might. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, you get the idea. Uh, most IP telephones are based on Linux. Two, two sentiments set, said together, free speech, free beer. Right. It was, it, and it, it, it tried to be both. Now you could go buy a copy of Linux, but you were really buying support and right. CD. And so, so for example, we run uh, Request Tracker, which is a ticket system, and it's by Best Practical Solutions. It is really awesome. Best Practical sells excellent support, and they sell excellent packages. However, I don't need it. So I use the product, install it, and then we have a fallback at the company. If we ever need it, we can always hire Best Practical to do what we need to do. But the ticket system itself costs nothing, and it's a great system. I mean, NASA uses it. Um, uh, bunches of big companies use it. Bunches of universities use it. And it works great. It works great. It's fully customizable. It's written in Perl. Oh, that's another thing. So uh, everything in, in Unix and following Linux following, of course, acronyms mean things. So Perl 
was supposed to mean practical extraction and reporting language. But one of the officers, probably, I think it was Larry Wall, said that it really means pathologically eclectic rubbish lister. Um, you know, everything has some meanings. And then, of course, we go back to the old mail reader days. We had Elm, which was electronic mail. Then we had Pine. Pine is not Elm. I mean, it's all kinds of things <laughs> like that. Uh, I could go on and on on all sorts of acronyms. If you're ever bored, uh, install the Fortune package, and there's all sorts of <laughs> categories. But Linux is actually a whole category, and Kernel is a whole category for the Fortune stuff. There's all kinds of stuff in the mailing list at all there. Guy at work used Nano, and I was like, do you know where Nano came from? And he couldn't tell me. Okay, let's talk about Elm and then Pine. Yep. For Pine to read your email, well, you needed an editor for that. So they had Pine Composer, or Pico. Pico got its own wings as an editor, and then someone made a smaller version called Nano. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. So it's, it's, there's a long lineage to this guy's text editor that he has no idea about. Is it yep. like your rite of passage to use Vim in Emacs? Is, yeah. <laughs> and it, okay, so Emacs could be considered a language in its own right. Um, Literally is. It, <laughs> it is. It, yeah. It's, it's list. But you, um, you, know, you know that you have arrived, right? You know you've arrived when... Uh, when when you can comfortably use things like VI and Emacs and you don't you don't get squeamish when you can do that <laughs> then you have arrived when when VI is your go-to editor you know you've made it <laughs> um, so there you go because um, it's funny because again we go back to the terminal days everybody's so used to graphical interfaces now but back in the day they had terminals 80 columns by 24 uh, lines and and everything was was uh, Ys and VT 100s and and. So all that stuff was cursor updated and they, it wasn't very robust. So yeah, of course, terminal applications were it. Which takes me back to another thing. If people will remember, I, again, I'm old enough. WordPerfect 5.1, it was the bomb of word processors, run under DOS, best word processor ever. People will argue with me this, but honestly, I just threw away my, I had a, I had a full WordPerfect set, including manuals and floppies. I threw that away about two years ago. <laughs> uh, but it was a full WordPerfect 5.1 set. You were attached to it. I was. <laughs> for a while. I was for a while. Uh, but yeah, so we, we actually put, at work, we put some floppy disks on our Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. uh, just because we needed some things to put on there. You know? So we, we hung some floppy disks on our Christmas tree. So I, this is probably news to you, I'm switching air quotes. I just kind of switched from Vim to um, VS Code. She's probably to blame because she <laughs> was using it. I'm like, well, I need yeah. to learn it so they can do it. But a lot of like real developers at work, I, I'm not a real developer. I've got a little bit more of a systems background like Kelly. Uh, a lot of them use uh, VS Code and proselytize it. And I finally found what I will consider a relevant reason to, to migrate from it. But I still use the VS, uh, I'm sorry, the Vim key bindings in it. Where I'm rambling with that is, kind of like Kelly says, you know, grab one, use it. You don't have to rub in people's face. It's make it your own personal flex. You don't have to. You don't have to use it and subscribe to it. But being able to operate inside it, like you said, without wetting your pants, that's. You know you've arrived. Yeah, you, yeah. Everybody you'll has be all right. preferences, right? We all have preferences, and that's cool. One of the things that that I have to do when I code, I don't indent. I don't need to indent because I don't look at my code. <laughs> so what I had to do was I actually wrote for every language I program, and I wrote indenters to fix my code because if I don't, my code is horrid. Now I do have to indent in certain languages because they make you right. 
I was say, does uh, Power, PowerShell? Uh, Python does. Um, right. I was saying, is that why you is that why you're sort of sweet on PowerShell because it doesn't make you pa- PowerShell doesn't you don't care what you do, right? Okay. That, 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 that's it. I love PowerShell. Well, because most of the languages I program in don't care. Yeah. Right. C doesn't care. C plus plus doesn't care. Um, so uh, as long as you get your braces and stuff right, you're good. COBOL cares and and RPG cares. In fact, they're very column dependent. But anyway, so. I've written in Denver's for all the languages I program in so that uh, so that it cleans up my code and makes it look halfway decent. It's like if you guys up late. It's all good. It's, it's like how we used to go. Yeah. Till, and, and so you mentioned earlier, sometimes midnight or whatever, but I do remember times when we were up till 3 and 4 in the morning and then had to go to work the next day because that's the way we rolled. Well, and stuff always breaks, too. As you yep. Ups, might as well stay up. So let me tell you, I don't want to say my genesis or maybe my arrival story. So, Kelly, Kelly, if that's not obvious, Kelly was my mentor uh, starting from when I started at the ISP. And I was a young lad full of piss and vinegar, and he reacted to that. Ooh, I can really turn this into a cool, cool thing. Anyway, the story is, is like, is it's late nights, and some, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be there, and you gotta be available. Like, I can do it, I can do it. So, he's like, all right, whenever, whenever I'm on call, which is every night, because he was, he's a, the masochist. Yep, I was on a um, If there's ever a problem, I'm gonna call you and you can drive me in. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Friday happened and whatever, and Saturday I get a call. Hey, mail server is, is down. We gotta go. Okay. So it was about 11, fix the mail server. The next night, oh, hey, hey, we need to update this thing. We can't do it during the day. So, so help me with it at night. Okay. Drove him to the office and we were out till about midnight that night. He had no idea what he was getting into. Wait for it. Tuesday was another, or Wednesday was another outage, and then Thursday was something else. About about that next Friday, it's like some BS thing that I'm realizing this could probably wait it. <laughs> it gets to be Saturday, and we go hard till like 3.30 in the morning. The only place that's open when we're done is Steak and Shake. So we, other than like another pair of truckers, are sitting in Steak and Shake in Lima, Ohio, and... Doesn't have eyes, but you can see in his face. This one's tired. <laughs> this one's strung out. When, he, when he's quiet, I'm I'm just a I'm a punk ass running on Mountain Dew. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm tired, but I kind of I kind of I'm over my cheeseburger, and I kind of say, "This was a test, wasn't it?" And he gets quiet, <laughs> and he's maybe maybe. I said, "How'd I do?" And he's like, all right, right we'll, we'll see. And, and I just kind of leaned back. I said, I can do this tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> and we both slept in tomorrow night. After that, there was a rapport formed. I said, I, I can be here tomorrow night. Can you? Yeah, you have to do. Because I was getting older then, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. What One of the things, I, I always remember this, and I, you know, when you the things you can do at 20, you, you, you do less of at 30. And when you get to 40, it's not so good. And, and now that I'm at the age I'm at, I like my sleep, okay? Uh, so I'm, I'm glad I'm in a job that does not require, it still does, but not as many, not as many weird late nights. But, but one of the things that I firmly believe in, I firmly believe in this, is, is you learn, you learn by experience. You don't learn by what you read, because, because that's not a good teacher, right? You learn by experience. 
And, and, and to illustrate that, a story of mine, uh, when I was doing Cisco routers a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away when things were connected by telecom T1s and far away, uh, I was being mentored by a gentleman uh, from Dayton and, and he told me something not to do on a Cisco router. He said, don't do that because he said, if you do, if you do, we will lose communication with that router and then, and it was below zero degrees, it was winter time, yeah. and we're going to have to go out to a little cabinet and a little hut and fix it. And he goes, that means you're going to do it because I'm not. And and I'm thinking the book says that'll work. The book says that will work. The book says that will work. And I'm like, surely. So I did it. Guess what? It did not work. And wait, 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 wait. Oh, I don't want to mess up your computer, but it's uh, that's happening of like enter. Yeah. So yeah. So I hit my and and, and I was like, I lost. I'm like, oh god. And so I said, Dave. He goes. You did it, didn't you? And I was like, I, I thought he was going to be mad. And he's like, no. He's like, sorry, buddy. So don't worry about it. He says, no problem. He said, I will drive you to the area to fix it. And he said, he said, now here's how this is going to work. He said, the thing is, he said, I can't get any closer to it. He said, so I'm going to sit in my heated truck and you're going to fix this router. And he said, it's going to take you about 15 minutes to reload it. And he said, he said, but I promise you when you're done, he said, first off, when you're done, he said, I'm going to take you for a steak dinner. He said, but I promise you when you're done, you will never do that again. He was 100% correct. I've never done that again. Um, it was very cold. Uh, it was very cold. And uh, I have never forgotten that lesson. And, and so I do that when I teach people. I will purposefully tell them things because people like to be contrary. Right? We're humans. We want to be contrary. Yeah, don't do that because if you do, it's going to be a problem. Not for me, of course, but it will be a problem. Mm -hmm. The phrasing I came around to is, in order for someone to succeed, you have to allow them to fail. Absolutely. You learn way more from your failures yeah. uh, than you do from anything you'll ever read or do. Now, that's not to say that while you're trying to fail, you need to, uh, to go blow something up or cause major destruction. We don't want to do that. Uh, some failures you do not want to preside over. Because some failures are just resume-generating events, no matter what you do. Um, so, yeah. but but definitely, when you fail, it teaches you. It teaches you something, uh, because because no matter how much people like to believe it, the book is not always right, and one person's experience isn't always right. Because sometimes the circumstances are slightly different, and it's that slight difference that makes all the difference. I give and here's a little side tip. That's a really good interview question. What's something you messed up? What's something that you screw up? Because what they're looking for is A, honesty. B, do you have the guts to break stuff? And then B, what'd you learn? <laughs> right? Yeah, so so take your yeah, take your mistakes with, yeah. with a badge of honor. The other thing too is to if they have job requirements that you feel like you don't have, still apply. Look for it because yeah. you may not think you have the requirement, but you might have it. And uh, also, do a little research into where you're going to work, what you want to do, because uh, we we totally underutilize this really cool invention that was invented not too many years ago called Google. It's amazing what you can learn. I always tell people I am way less interested in what a person knows when I hire them than what they can learn or what they can do, because knowledge can be imparted. The, the skills to troubleshoot and think are harder to impart. Impossible, uh, I'd say. But knowledge, knowledge can be gained. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of our tricks is we are, our, our company is so terribly documented that when <laughs> someone walks up and like, I have no idea what you guys do. I tried. It was an hour. I'm like, step over here, John. <laughs> right. let's, have, let's have a discussion. Yeah, let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> 
I, I guess I can do a wrap up. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. You say but it's, it's, we're getting to the end. It's, so it's you know, if you find yeah. someone, there's two sides to this coin. If you if you find someone that's willing to slow down and give you the time, because it costs the, the company money. Precisely, it costs the company money to show new people things, but if a company survived, they might must do it. If someone's willing to slow down and give you the time to, to grow you, latch on to that like, like a pit bull. You just hang on to that because it will, it will reward you in the long run. Put, put in the hours when you have them. When, you, when you're young, when you don't have a lot of commitments, put, put in the hours. And then the flip side of that is when you're the big dog and you think you know what's going on, good way to test that knowledge is to try to teach somebody else. <laughs> give back. Give yeah. back. Because somebody helped you, right? I don't even mean for like feel goods. I mean for your own growth. Sure. For sure. your own growth. But you, you know, you, you're, you're where you're at because somebody took the time. I'm where I'm at because somebody took the time. So, uh, you know, definitely... Uh, you want to pass that on. We want our field to grow. We want our field to uh, to be as, as open and diverse as it can be. Uh, because the more people and the more uh, the more talent we have, the better that is. Mm -hmm. uh, at work, I feel very confident because some of the people that I mentored are handling the day-to-day. -day. And they think, oh, he was being so nice and showing us something. <laughs> no, I was trying to replace myself. Right? <laughs> That's the equally awful. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a great conversation for yeah. you know, our very first. Thank you for having us. Interview. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah.